helps when you turn the mic on. Thought I'd flip the button, but it didn't flip. But uh, welcome again to Red Lane Baptist Church on this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I know for us, uh, this is a big deal. As Christians, as Americans, this, is, this tradition, this holiday is sort of built into part of our calendar and what we do every single year. This uh, season of the year, this time of spring, we always have a Sunday. It kind of starts early on in the week, especially on Friday as we celebrate Good Friday. And I came across a song this past Friday, driving back from uh, Kentucky. Uh, my family and I were over there for spring break, and we were driving back, and, and I found a song, I think it's recently released by Phil Wickham, called Sunday is Coming. And so it's talking about uh, Good Friday, and, and Good Friday is only good because of what happens on Sunday. And so we have this understanding of Easter, more than likely, built into our, uh, our, our traditions and our understanding of the gospel, Right? We know why we celebrate Easter. It's not because Cadbury Easter eggs and, and Easter egg hunts and all those things. That's kind of other aspects of what we would do around this holiday. But for us, many of us in this room, we understand that Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God the Son stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth, onto earth, into this life. God being with man, he lived a life, he died a death for us. And he rose from the dead to give us that resurrection life. That is what we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. And so we, for the most part, have this understanding. Now, if you're one of our regular attenders, one of our members, and you've been with us uh, for any amount of time over the last several months, as we've walked through the Gospel of Luke, you've seen that for the disciples, those who were walking with Jesus, and they were hearing Jesus talk about these things, but they did not grasp it. They never could really catch the concept of the fact that their Savior, their Messiah, the one they were looking to, the one they were following, would actually die and be buried and raised from the dead. And yet Jesus said it often to them. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Luke records Jesus saying these words. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and the third day be raised from the dead. Today, on this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the culmination of the glorious and sacrificial work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. For the Bible tells us that Jesus did not remain in the grave. It would be one thing if Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he was still there, but that wouldn't give us much hope. We glory in the fact that God died in our place. He took the sins of the world upon his own shoulders and he was sacrificed to pay that penalty, but he didn't stay there. He was raised from the dead. We glory in that. We, we praise the Lord for that. We, we thank the Lord that on the third day, that Sunday morning, Jesus was raised from the dead, signifying that the Father was pleased with that sacrifice. He accepted that sacrifice, and so he resurrected Jesus from the dead. Easter is a big deal. In fact, in many ways, I like what A.B. Simpson has said. Easter is the New Year's Day of the soul. It should be viewed, in other words, as a day of new beginnings. So it's good, and it's right for us to acknowledge this day for what it is. And that is a day of victory. It's a day of celebration because of Jesus' victory over sin and all of its consequences. What are those consequences of sin? Death, hell, and the grave. You see, when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden 
took and ate of that forbidden fruit as they rebelled against God. God had told Adam in Genesis 2, the day you eat of this, you will die. And that is exactly what happened. Physically, they began to die, and 900 and so years later, Adam did die. But instantly, in that moment, when he pierced that fruit with his teeth, he died spiritually. We know that because he was ashamed. He and Eve both were ashamed. They made coverings for themselves. They hid from God as he came calling and walking, looking for them in the garden. They were hiding, and then they began to blame each other, and he blamed even God himself. The woman that you gave to me, she gave this fruit to me. Everything in their life was torn apart. Everything in their life became a part of death. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that day of victory over all of the consequences of sin. I like how the Apostle Paul says it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Easter, therefore, is this marking of a new beginning, this new chapter of life. And so it is important for us to remember and to reflect and to celebrate this day. Yet the early church modeled something a little different. It's really what we follow, the precedent that we follow today. You see, for the early church, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ every week. As that church gathered in its local context, all these little local churches gathering for worship, gathering for the teaching of the apostles, gathering for prayer, gathering for the equipment of one another, all of them celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ every single week. And that's what we do as Christians, because we follow that tradition, we follow that precedent that they set. You see, here is a church, the early church was made up of Jewish Christians in its inception. Uh, Jewish men and women who either followed Jesus during his life, or came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior there at Pentecost or shortly after. They had come out of this Jewish tradition, of this Jewish faith. And so when they met Jesus Christ, when he changed their life, they stopped following Shabbat and observing Shabbat, that Sabbath, Saturday worship. And they began to worship on the Lord's Day, Sunday. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as a church every single Sunday. I told the last service... That this morning, we didn't sing any new songs. You say, I don't know about that man of sorrows. We've sung that a lot here, especially in years past. But that's an old song. That's a great, just rich theological song. So we've sang no new songs. We've done nothing new on this day. Why? Because just like every Sunday, though it's Easter, it is resurrection day for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We believe in the resurrection because it is the matter of life and death for us. Though we may dress a little different on Sunday, Easter Sunday, you may have your best, you may have something new on. I wore a tie today. I mean, think about that. You haven't seen me in a tie unless you've been at a wedding or a funeral in a long time. I don't even wear ties to school board meetings. I'm the rebel that says, hey, I ain't going to wear a tie. It's 2023. I'm 44 years old. I'm of a different generation. I don't need to wear a tie. But today I wore a tie just to kind of change it up. And I have freaked some people out this morning. It's been good. I've enjoyed that part of it. But today is Resurrection Sunday. The church celebrates what Jesus has done for us. 
You know, as we contemplate how glorious and how wonderful Christ's resurrection was and, and what it means for us as sinners, it really is too great of a thing to isolate to just once a year. I was thinking about this earlier. You know, in the Old Testament and for Jews in, in, who follow Judaism, there is the Passover. And so Jews this week celebrated the Passover. And that's what Jesus was celebrating. That's what the disciples were celebrating in that last meal. And all of that for us as believers has been turned into what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, a fulfillment of what the Passover is pointing to, that Jesus is our Passover. He is the sacrificial lamb. But as we think about Jewish people and the Jewish faith, they observe Passover annually, Right? They gathered, they ate the, 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 the meal there, the bitter herbs and the matzah bread and all of those things. And, and they remembered what, Jesus, or what the Lord had done in Exodus. And so as Jesus and disciples are doing that, they're celebrating this annual holiday, this annual observance of this day. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But every single Saturday as Jews gathered together, they also celebrated the Lord and it was what he's done. And so that's what we do as the church. We gather on Sundays every single week to worship the Lord and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as we think about what the gospel is, it is the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection. That is the gospel. And Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For who? To the Jew first and to the Greek. And so all of us have access to the gospel. We have access to the power of God to change our lives. How does that happen in us? It goes all the way back to Jesus being the fulfillment of everything that God had pictured in the Bible, being the death, the burial, and the resurrection, giving us new life. So as we think about the gospel, the gospel is what God's Spirit uses to open our eyes as sinful men and women to his or our spiritual need. It's through the gospel that we see our need for forgiveness because of the condemnation and the separation that sin has caused in us. It is through the gospel that we see and recognize new life is found only in the resurrected Christ. You see, this morning as we come and worship on this Easter Sunday, we might have put our best on and something new on, and we might have came with mom or grandma or whoever, but this is sort of an annual thing, but it's not really what we do. Even if it's something you do every single Sunday, we will not be recognized and received by the Lord because of going through religious actions. No, we have to come to Jesus by faith through repentance of our sin and trusting in the life that he has offered to us, a life that he has won through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's the power of the gospel. It's through the gospel that we understand how we as a sinful person can be brought near to God and given citizenship among his people. And so this morning, on this Easter Sunday, my prayer is that our eyes would be open to the beauty and grace of the gospel. My prayer for those who are Christ followers is that you will see Jesus with fresh eyes today and, and that you'll recognize the gospel and enjoy it and celebrate it and relish in it even that much more. That we wouldn't allow our lives to be marked by religious activity only, but more than that, be marked by intimacy with the Lord. I'm not knocking religious activity. Please hear me this morning. I'm not trying to knock Easter Sunday. I love Easter Sunday, right? We're about to go have dinner. I mean, lunch, big time lunch. You're going to do the same thing. 
Uh, we had donuts out here this morning. I mean, thank God for Dunkin' Donuts. Krispy Kreme's a little better, but, you know, until we get one of those out here, Dunkin' will suffice. I like Dunkin's coffee over Krispy Kreme's coffee, but I like Krispy Kreme's donuts over Dunkin's donuts. I don't know if you care about that, but about me. But that's a little insight into James Taylor. I love Easter Sunday, so I'm not knocking that. But what I want to push us to, I want to call us to, is not being satisfied with religious activity. But I want you to hear me. Religious activity is not necessarily bad as long as it points you to Jesus, as long as it draws you to Jesus. You see, this morning, for whatever reason that you're here, you're here. Amen? We as pastors, I'm going to give you a little insight into us. I've thrown some of my friends under the bus. They're much worse than I am. But we understand what Easter Sunday is. We understand what Christmas Eve is. It's the, and I say this to our church all the time. It's the two days of the year that people are most open to being invited and coming to church with you. And so I challenge our church every year. Hey, use this. Leverage this. Why? Because I know people are open to it. So this morning, you may be here because this is Easter Sunday, and you're open to an invitation. You're stepping into this religious action, but you're here, and that is a good thing. Why is it good? Because you're going to sit under the teaching, the preaching, and the singing of God's Word. And my prayer is that your heart will be open to the gospel. Whether you're in Jesus Christ or you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, your heart will be open to the gospel and drawn to the Lord and the life that he wants to give and he wants to fan in your life. So whatever group you're in this morning, may we learn to live in that overflow. May we learn to live in, in the life of Jesus Christ, the power of his life, the abundant life that wants to overflow in us and out of us to other people. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to look at a passage, and this is not a typical Easter message. I get that. And I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to just kind of carry on with our sermon series. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke. I didn't want to change and, and run to one of those uh, kind of more traditional Easter texts that just deal with the resurrection. I wanted to look at whatever the passage was next, and it just so happens to be the story of Mary and Martha. You're probably familiar with this story. You're probably familiar with this family, for sure. You surely know the story of Lazarus, their brother. They were in John chapter 11 when Lazarus had died and Jesus tarried for four days. And finally, the time he shows up, he's been buried. And, and as one of the sisters says, he has a stench to him because he's been buried and dead so long. And yet Jesus resurrected him. That's the family we're looking at. And so we're going to look at this story regarding these two sisters, Mary and Martha, both of them, I want you to know in the front end, loved Jesus immensely. But one of them was distracted by her service. Both loved, one was distracted, one sat there and enjoyed the intimacy with Jesus at his feet. So Luke chapter 10, let's begin reading in verse 38. Luke says this, Now as they went on their way, that's Jesus and the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Worship is at the heart of all that we as believers are and all that we do in the Christian life. And so this morning as we look at this text and we look at this interchange between Jesus and Martha and what Mary was doing, I want you to think of it in the context of worship. You see, it's important that we be busy laborers in the expansion of the kingdom. So let's keep this in context of what's happening in Luke chapter 10. A few weeks ago, we were seeing there as Jesus sent out the 70 or the 72, depending on what your translation says. He sends them out two by two to share the gospel, to preach the kingdom in all the towns, all the places that Jesus would visit as he's moving toward Jerusalem. So as we think about that and we think about worship, we need to understand that we are called to be busy laborers who are working the harvest fields of the kingdom. It's also important that we understand the the previous passage we saw last Sunday. And we see there that it's equally essential that we model compassion toward people who are exploited and and hurt or marginalized. That we want to have the heart of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, so that when we see a need, we want to step into that space. This morning, as we look in this third passage here in Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, we see that if we're going to do those things, we have to learn, first learn to set with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to enjoy Jesus. That is the fuel that does everything and gives everything we need to expand the kingdom and to minister to people's needs. We have to be with Jesus. We have to take time to be holy. So Mary and Martha, we shared just a couple things about these two sisters. First of all, Mary of Bethany is mentioned three times in the Gospels. We see her in every occasion in the same place. Where is Mary in this story? She's at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, she's at the feet of Jesus. Martha is in the, in the kitchen. Martha is taking care of the house. Mary is out there sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. We go to John chapter 11, and we see there in verse 32 that Lazarus has died. Jesus has arrived after he's been buried for four days. And when Mary hears that Jesus has arrived, she goes to Jesus and is at his feet, burying her heart and her grief to the Lord. She's at his feet. Move to the next chapter in John chapter 12. And again, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. I think it's in verse 3. This is about... A few days, a little over a week before Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem, he's going to go through the passion, he's going to go to the cross and ultimately be resurrected. And in that moment, Mary comes in and begins to anoint his feet and his head for burial. She's at his feet. So three times she's mentioned in the gospel. All those times, she is at the feet of Jesus, enjoying the Lord. Likewise, Martha is mentioned three times in the gospel. Two of the three stories, she is portrayed in an act of service. Here in Luke chapter 10, she is preparing a meal. She's preparing all the things that are needed to host Jesus and his disciples. So here she's hosting, but as she's doing so, we learn a little bit about who Mary is and kind of what was behind the driving, the driving force behind Martha in her life. What do you think about Martha? I read this and I see an A-type personality. I see a woman who's very strong. I see a woman who's very opinionated. I see a woman who is not afraid to speak her mind. I see a woman here who is kind of getting after Jesus a little bit. 
She's bossy. She's commanding. She tells Jesus to have Mary help her. Lord, tell her to help me. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, standing before the King of Kings, standing before the Lord of Lords, standing before the one who created all that there is. He spoke it into existence. And Martha, with a rag in her hand and a hand on the other hip, is just giving Jesus a tongue lashing. That's who she was. She was not afraid. You probably know a Martha in your life. Maybe you are a Martha in your life. Let's not cast stones too quickly at Martha. Housework can be daunting. Amen? I say that because I'm trying to get credit here, right? I want you to... No, I'm serious. I told the last service, and I didn't ask permission from my wife to make this... Um, statement or this use this illustration it was kind of off the cuff but this morning i'm a big i'll iron everything so a t-shirt i'm never going to walk out of my house with wrinkles drives me nuts to have wrinkles i just can't do it right so it doesn't matter if t-shirt i'm going to iron it so every single day i iron something or i steam it so i walk into our laundry room to get the ironing board and the iron because it's too small to do it so i always do it in the kitchen and I, I went to open the door and i couldn't get the door open without actually using some some muscle to push it open because in front of the, the, the washing machine was a pile of like towels and stuff like that. And then I look over into the, the washing machine and it's full of clothes as well. I mean, yesterday was a long day. It was a busy day. We're getting all things ready for a, a dinner that we're having some folks over for this afternoon. And so I understood it, but it's like, that is the, we got three kids. We're busy all the time. My life is like your life, I'm sure. And so we're constantly going through housework. So let's not get too down on Martha here. There's a lot of things to do, and it's never ending. In fact, one lady has described housework as, and I quote, constantly putting pearls on a necklace with no knot on the end of the string. Can I get some ladies to amen that this morning? There's always a pile of dishes. There's always a dishwasher that needs either emptying or loading or both. There's always clothes to wash, to dry, to fold, to put away. That's... Washing and drying seems to be the easy part. It's the putting away that runs into some trouble in our home, right? It's a little window into our life. You come out of our house, and you're going to see, man, this place is nice. These people are tidy. No, we're not. We're just like you. We're a mess, too. We just throw it in closets before you come over, or we try to get it done before you come over. And so housework is daunting. This is where Martha is at. She's in the kitchen. She's serving the Lord because that is what she loved to do. She, she's serving in this way because she's gifted to shine there. At the same time, I believe Martha would have loved to have been out there with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, but she's torn by the duties she has. So she's upset. She wants to be where Mary is, but her duties seem to pull her away from that. So she begins to get bossy and demanding and mean toward Jesus and Mary. So it seems like her gift of hospitality had begun to sour, had begun to sour in her heart. In all honesty, I bet many, Christ, many Christians in the church today would find themselves in a very similar situation to Martha. You're serving the Lord, but rather than being blessed by your service, blessed by your ministry, rather than finding joy in, in what you do, sometimes you're a little soured by it. I remember years ago, this is, God, 20 plus years ago, when I was in college, I was a full-time ministry intern in our student ministry in my home church. I grew up in a very large church, and so on Wednesday nights, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we would literally have 600 plus 
teenagers in our services, middle school and high school services. So I was in charge as my duties of our whole student building. So just imagine 17,000 square feet with a gym cage and video games and pool tables and all kinds of stuff, a full cafe. I mean, 40 volunteers to get things going and keep it running. And if you got that many kids in that size of a space, you can only imagine the messes that were made every single week. So I was constantly running back and forth, unclogging toilets and, and replenishing paper goods and cleaning up spills and doing all kinds of things to make sure that everything was running optimally. And it got to be such a, a, a hassle that my heart began to sour toward that. I really resented kids at that point. Here I am headed towards student ministry. Maybe the reason I'm not a student pastor today is because of those days. I'm not sure. I just realized that wasn't the place for me early on. But I remember setting, I think I was in my quiet time one day. The Lord spoke to me out of Proverbs 14. I think it's verse 10 or verse 11. And it says, where there are no anger in the stall, the manger's clean. I think, I think that's what it says. The idea in that verse is ministry is going to be dirty. And so if you want a fruitful ministry where things are happening, lives are being changed, expect some manure. Expect some manure there. But if you want stalls that are clean and pristine and there's no mess whatsoever, what do you have? Nothing. In other words, if we want a church that's, that's really making a difference in the world, if we want to be a part of ministry that's engaging people's lives and lives are being changed, what comes with that? Mess and brokenness. And you got to step into that space, and you got to roll up your sleeves, and you got to go to work there. And so Martha's, the, the Martha's in this room, that kind of soured because of the expectations, of the lack of fulfillment of those expectations being fulfilled, we need to step back and look at our priorities. We need to understand that ministry can be messy. And so what do we do? We need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. This morning from this story, I want, to, I want you to see that serving the Lord is good and it is right. And we should and we must be engaged in sharing the gospel. We should and we must be engaged in ministering to people's needs. And yet, before we ever verbalize the gospel and before we ever seek to meet a person's needs, we have to first take time to be with Jesus. You say, ah, what does that mean? I can only share the gospel when, when, when I've just read my Bible or if I just sing a worship song. I don't know what that actually means. The idea here is more of let's walk with Jesus in intimacy every single day so that his power fuels and fans the ministry that's flowing out of us. So two truths that I want you to see is we seek to live from the overflow or live out of the overflow of Jesus's life being pressed out through ours. Here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. I landed right on time in the first service. We'll see how I do in the second. Number one, a Christian's first and primary calling is to listen to and enjoy Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to Martha here when she has scolded him. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What's Jesus doing here in, these, in, in this statement? He's rebuking her, right? Lord, do you not care that she's not helping me? Do you not care that she's sitting there at your feet? Do you not care that I'm in here in the kitchen and, and I'm doing all of this work? I mean, it's hot in here. There's food to make. There's tables to set. I mean, this was Martha. 
She's this A-type personality. She wants everything to be perfect. She wants everything to be just as it ought to be. She's been to the market. She's bought the groceries. She's set the table. She's done all of this herself. And she's scolding Jesus because Mary has not helped one bit. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things. Mary, however, has chosen the good portion. He's rebuking her. But it's a gentle rebuke. He's not saying, Martha, you are a sour, sour woman, right? Martha, you are just as mean as a snake. Martha, you are just dead wrong. You ought to be where Mary is. That's not what he's doing. He's gently rebuking her. So he's affirming Mary's choice. He says it's the better choice. It's the good good portion. But in that same vein, with the same voice, and the same breath, in no way does he discredit Martha's service. Her service is unto the Lord. Her service is for him and his disciples. See, in essence, Jesus told her, and he tells us today as believers, that in all our service, we are not to forget that only one thing is necessary, and that one thing is not the next task on our to-do list. It's not serving others and meeting needs. The one thing necessary is sitting at his feet. It's listening to his word. It's enjoying the Lord himself. As we think about Mary and Martha, and as we read about that, many times people will try to pit them against one another. They'll lead us to conclude that we either have to choose to be a Martha in our life, serving the Lord wholeheartedly, serving the Lord with such unction and and commitment, or we have to be a Mary who doesn't serve and just sits at the feet of Jesus. Is that what we're to conclude in this passage? Be a Mary or be a Martha? I don't think so. I think Jesus would and does commend Martha's. Right? He calls us to service. He, he does not discredit her. He doesn't rebuke her for serving. He's just saying there's moments in our life where serving needs to take a, a back seat because the first seat, the primary seat, needs to be for the Lord Jesus, where you sit at his feet and you learn from him. So we're not to be a Mary or a Martha. We're to be Mary and Martha. We're to worship the Lord in intimacy. We're to set and enjoy him, and we are to serve the Lord. It's all part of our worship. So he says of Mary, she has chosen the good portion. As we read this, I believe the wording is significant. That that idea, that word of portion or inheritance is used often in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Psalm 73 says this in verse 25 and 26. Psalm says, whom have I, whom am, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You see, over and over again in the Old Testament, we see this picture of God being our portion, God being our inheritance. And we probably pick up on that language because we think of Israel and their inheritance. And that largely was land. That largely was his provision. That largely was all of the things he provided for them. But ultimately, their portion and their inheritance wasn't land. It wasn't the land of Palestine. It wasn't the land that Judah conquered. It wasn't the land that Ephraim conquered. It wasn't the land that Issachar conquered. No, their portion was the Lord himself. He is their portion. He is their inheritance. 
He is their life. So the purpose in all of this was for Israel to be led to find joy and satisfaction in him. Over and over again, you read in the Old Testament, especially in the Exodus and, and that whole story of their wanderings, that they failed many times to find their joy in the Lord. They thought, man, we came out of Egypt and everything's going to be wonderful, and yet they didn't find it so easy, and they're griping about no water, they're griping about no food, and when the Lord provides those things, did it change their disposition? No. Many times they're grumbling, they're fussing. I mean, he gives them quail because they're griping about having no food. And they're saying, we're going to go back to Egypt. Back there, we had leeks and melons, and we had fish, and we had all of these things. And I just want to scream at them and say, did you not remember you're also slaves? The food wasn't that good for you. And yet, that's what they were saying. And so the Lord, in his grace, the Lord, in his goodness, he provides even quail for them. And yet, they gripe about that. I'm tired of eating this quail. Give us some more. Give us something else. So what are we to learn in all of this? The Lord's portion, the Lord's inheritance that he gives his people is not to lead us to enjoy the things he gives us. It's to lead us to enjoy him. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. He is our life. So as we think on this Easter Sunday about resurrection life, are we to glory in the fact that as a follower of Jesus, he's given us eternal life? It is nice and good and worth celebrating that we get to live eternally in heaven. But what makes heaven heaven? Jesus. If we have to live eternally without Jesus, eternal life is not worth living. He is what gives us life. He is life. I love what he says to Mary and Martha there. I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. So he is our portion, he is our inheritance, and Mary here in this text chooses that, and that is a good thing. So for us as Christians, our primary calling is to listen to his word and enjoy Jesus Christ. That's how we live, out of the overflow of the life of Jesus. You see, Christian, really non-Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer, it's not about what you do for the Lord it's what you do with the Lord. Let him be your portion. Let him be your inheritance. Let his life be your life and overflow out of it. That leads us to a second truth. This, a Christian's secondary calling is to serve Jesus and others. So going back to Martha, as I said earlier, don't miss the fact that Jesus does not rebuke her for serving. Jesus never says to Martha, why have you been in the kitchen, woman? You should have been sitting out here. He never rebukes her. He never says what she was doing was not important. So the implication then is that he and his disciples later that evening sat down and ate the meal that she prepared. Sat down with all of the others and they enjoyed fellowship together. That's the implication. None of us, I'm sure, have ever read this passage, ever read this story and thought, I bet he said... Now, we're going to go out to McDonald's later on. Uh, you know, thanks for your service, but no thanks. We didn't want that. We didn't ask for it. That's not the idea at all. The implication is that Jesus received her service to him because it was a gift. It was an act of worship. So that's our secondary calling. As we live and enjoy Jesus, live with and enjoy Jesus, it leads us, it drives us to serve the Lord and to serve others. Martha's ministry was important because she was serving the Lord. 
And she sought to meet his needs and she sought to care for his people. In fact, we see another picture of this. In John chapter 12, we see Martha again serving a meal. Jesus has entered into Bethany. He's there with these sisters again, Lazarus as well, because he's been resurrected. He's enjoying fellowship with him. And Martha is doing what Martha does. She's in the kitchen. She's making a meal. She's serving those who are in her home because that is her gift. She has the gift of hospitality. She has a heart for hospitality. And in this situation, she's not doing the other. She's not coming out with the rag in one hand and the hip, hand on the hip on the other and get, giving Jesus a lecture. No, she just serves the Lord. There's no mention of her getting upset. There's no mention of her giving Jesus a tongue lashing. No, she has learned in this moment that her primary calling is to enjoy Jesus and to allow that relationship to fuel her giftedness. Amen? So we're called to know Jesus. We're called to enjoy Jesus. And that leads us to serve Jesus and to serve others through the giftedness that he gives us. So the key to living in the overflow is to have your priorities in their proper order. Jesus first, others second, self last. That's the way you live out of the overflow. Let Jesus and intimacy with Jesus, Jesus be the primary calling of your life. Let your secondary calling be serving others, and then let yourself be last. There's nothing more important than your daily walk with Jesus. That's what fuels this. That's what drives this in your life. So what is your life, what's your personal life like? Earlier I was kind of, pressing on this being Easter Sunday and a big deal for us. And, you know, I woke up this morning, and obviously I'm not Catholic, but I saw on, on the news channels, they were showing the, the, the Easter mass from the Vatican. And so all around the world, <clears throat> excuse me, all around the world, we're clued in to the fact that this is Easter. And so I've kind of poked at that just a little bit. And the reason I've done that is because our Christian life cannot be isolated to once a year Worship and celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't even true for the Jews. Passover is there, outside of the Day of Atonement, the Passover meal and the Passover celebration is one of the most iconic celebrations of the Jewish faith. But it was never meant to be the end-all, be-all celebration for the Jews. It was only one day a year. But every single day, they were to know God's word and teach their children God's word. Every single week they were to gather together as Jewish believers on Shabbat and celebrate together in the synagogue. Same is true for us as Christians. Every single day I need to get up and spend time right here in this word. How can I know God if I don't know his word? I need to spend time in prayer seeking the Lord. I need to do that in my own spiritual discipline so that I can live out of the overflow of Jesus' life, honor him like I should, and minister to others like he would have me to. And then I need to gather weekly with this church. I need to gather on Sunday mornings with this congregation, with this local group of people so that I can be encouraged and so that I can encourage others so I can set under the teaching and the inspiration and the authority of his word and his pastors. I need that in my life. And so do you. That's my secondary calling. My, my primary calling is intimacy with him. And then my secondary calling is then to serve out of the overflow of that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus here indicates that Mary had chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. 
You see, she was committed to spending time with the Lord because she loved him. Her worship and her service came as a result of living in this overflow of Jesus' life, being pressed out through hers. This morning, can that be said of you? Can that be said of you in your life? Are you committed to listening to and enjoying Jesus? Or is your relationship with Jesus better described as nothing more than religious action? Nothing wrong with religious action as long as it drives you to intimacy. So where are you at this morning? In a room this size with this many people, I assume people watching this online, there's people from all walks of life, all spiritual backgrounds, all spiritual uh, points along the journey. And so where are you in that journey? Are you in Christ? Are you like Mary and Martha? You know Jesus intimately. You're a friend of Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven. You've trusted him as Lord and Savior. And, and yet in that relationship, perhaps you're like, Mar like Martha in this situation. You're sort of at a guilty distance because your, your focus is not where it needs to be. Or perhaps you are like Mary. And you are today walking in just incredibly deep intimacy. Perhaps... This morning, you're sitting in this room, and you're not on that journey at all. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You're where I was prior to April 24th, 1997. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you do the thing. But you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning, this is the very first time you've been to church, or at least the first time you've been to church in a long time. But today, the Lord is be, would be speaking to you and is speaking to you saying, you need to come to me. You need the life that I offer, the life that I died for, the life that I was resurrected to give you. You need that in your life. Here's what I know about things of this world. Nothing will satisfy you other than Jesus Christ. I was driving to Kentucky the other day. I always kind of poke at this a little bit. And I saw as soon as he got into West Virginia, the little lottery signs, and I think it was Mega Millions or something like that, was like in the 350s, 350 million. I was like, hey, babe, you get that? You don't have to work anymore. She's like, that'd be awesome. And it would be pretty sweet, right? I mean, 350 million, I guess you take home half of that maybe after taxes. Still, I could probably live in that. You probably could as well. You think it would make you happy? For a while. You think he'd give you lasting joy? No. Probably destroy our lives more than likely. Probably really would. You had a new car. What if you went home this afternoon and, and, and you know, you drove a clunker um, and, or something you really didn't like? You got home and, and sat in your driveway. It's a brand new car. I mean, your ideal car. For me, it would be an F-250 King Ranch Edition or something like that. I mean, if we're just dreaming big, that's what I'd take. If you just feel my birthday's next month, if you just feel the need, you're right, I'm just kidding. Be 45 next month, if you just feel the need. If you had the dream car, would it give you lasting joy? No, you'd enjoy it. Man, I'd enjoy it. F-250 driving around with a diesel would be awesome. But after a while, it'd become old, right? When the newness goes away, that smell, there's nothing better than a new car smell. But when that fades, what are you left with? A payment, right? My point is, nothing in this world satisfies. Nothing satisfies. You say, man, I, I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. Absolutely. Relationships are great. Relationships are wonderful. We were created for relationships. But do they give us every deep satisfaction that we want and what we need? No. 
They can't. They can't give us ultimate satisfaction in our life because we were not created for those things. Ultimately, we were created by God and we're created for God. That's what Colossians 1.16 says. So the deepest longings and the deepest needs in our life can only be met by Jesus Christ. So let's chase him and not chase everything else. Martha in this story, in some way, is chasing other things, but Mary has figured it out. Let's be like Martha in John 12, who's serving, but serving out of a full heart because she's now walking, living, setting with Jesus in intimacy. So wherever that hits you this morning, we're going to have a time of response in just a moment. If you need Jesus Christ, you know, this is Resurrection Sunday. There's no greater decision you could make as a person who's still in your sin, dead in your sin. There's no greater decision you could ever make than coming to Jesus and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. In, time, in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity, a time to respond in that way. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you just need to kind of get before the Lord and say, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a Martha in many ways. I've not chosen the good portion. Help me to be more like Mary. Maybe that's the decision you need to make this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy today. On this Easter Sunday, we can't help but see both of those things right in front of us. We see the grace of God and the fact that Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. In other words, he's offering to us new life we do not deserve. And in that same vein, we see the mercy of God. Because Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, we are able to escape the, th the very thing we do deserve. A devil's hell. Punishment. Eternal punishment for our sins. And so we thank you for this beautiful message of the gospel, that Jesus has come for us, died for us, and has been raised from the dead, inviting us into this newness of life. And this morning, there are believers all over this room watching this online who have experienced this new life. And yet, some, perhaps, have lost focus. And like Mary, we have become... Uh, overwhelmed by things that are not as important. We've been bottled, bottled down and, and bogged down in the hustle and bustle of life, the hustle and bustle of, of just things in the home and things of the family and work situations, perhaps even bogged down by ministry activity. And in many ways, we've kind of lost our first love. So I pray this morning that we would learn and, and develop the spiritual discipline in our life of just simply setting before the Lord. And hearing his word and studying his word and receiving his word and enjoying Jesus. And may that drive us in our service. So help us to be like Mary in this text. Father, I pray for those in this room who are not in relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today they would be drawn to your goodness, drawn to your offer of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that they would see their sinfulness, see the separation that's created, the condemnation that has put them under, and be drawn to Jesus and the escape that he freely offers. So, Father, in just a moment as we sing, help us to be responsive, help us to be obedient, help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Would you?
We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.